Hi guys! <laughs> Party! Oh, I've massively misjudged this. Oh, well, I suppose I better roast and eat all of you. He's been waiting for as long as he can for any of his other ships to turn up on... Um, I'm not sure what the island's really called, but I've basically christened it Pork and Monkey Island. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. In this day and age, of course, there'd be a sensation on Britain's Got Talent. <laughs> alas, alas, those days are not yet here. You Where, were my kingdom for fun. Simon Cowell. Fantastic. Release the lions. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to part 11 of Shark Live Oil's coverage of A Dance with Dragons. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. Part 11 of the dance. It's not quite to the stage yet where they're switching on the lights and telling everyone to go home. <laughs> but uh, we're not far away from that. We're sort of we... in, the, in the getting quite leery, you know, your uncle's on the dance floor dancing to <laughs> goodness knows what. <laughs> Are we moving towards the phase where they've started playing, you know, they've got the slow dances on, the erection section? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. We're not quite there with, they're not quite at the stage where they've whacked on New York, New York yet, which is the... Uh... <laughs> We've, have we got all the way down to Hey Jude yet? Is, yeah, uh, is, is Grandma on the dance floor waving her pint around? <laughs> yeah. Um, in Game of Thrones parlance... That means we're up to a chapter about John, which begins, uh, he was not a tall man. And we're reading as far as a chapter about Tyrion, which begins, if I have a little flick through to work it out. Uh, oh no, as far as a chapter about John, beg your pardon, which begins, uh, that night he dreamt of wildlings. That's why we're stopping this, this week. Yeah. That old sound legit? Sounds good to me. Excellent. Okay. Um, let's. Uh, well, you know what? As soon as it's part eleven, you all know the drill. Listening. So let's just start. Let's just get into it. Let's just get into the chapter about John. And this not a tall man. Turns out the 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 not tall man in question is Tormund, Giant's Bane. Um, and he's working. <clears throat> they're basically working on a deal. To. Uh, to let the sort of remainder of the wildlings through the wall. It turns out it's around 4,000 of them. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty miserable deal in terms of no one's particularly happy with it. Basically, they're going to be allowed through the wall, but they're all going to have to give up all their sort of gold and treasure because John's going to need it to, to buy food to feed everybody. Um, it sounds like a you know fairly, fairly legit reason, you know? You know, yeah. get, pay pay a, a bit of gold to get through the wall. Although if I was or, wildling, or all the gold you have, no. Well, yeah. Although if I was in the wildling camp, I'd be digging a little plot somewhere and hiding some of my gold to go out and get yeah. at a later date. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Like you, you know, Tormund's doing that as well, don't you? Like for all that, for all that, he's he's a rough and tumble man of honor. He's absolutely going through, going now. We've got to give the crows. Wink, wink, all, yeah. wink, wink, of the gold that we have, wink, wink. Now, we're going to be going in about a day's time, and I happen to have got a job lot of spades. So, if it happens, just saying, nothing we can do about that. Yeah, yeah, there must be a little sort of 
sneaky plan going on there to hide some of the treasure. But anyway, in general, totally. they've got to they've got to give most of it up. Now, um, John's obviously Tormund's worried about selling this to his his lot because they won't like the sound of that. And John is equally concerned about his side of the sort of diplomacy, getting the Night's Watch and the sort of Queen's Men on board. Uh, one of the key parts of that will be trying to get the Queen um, Sils on board, and she's not exactly the easiest to win round, to your way of thinking. <laughs> she's not loving it, is she? My word. Like, no. if somebody had given her a playbook for how to be obstreperous and awkward... <laughs> she she's following it play for play. She could be the author of that book. <laughs> how how to get in the way of the plot by Queen Selyse Baratheon. <laughs> no, um he takes Val along with him uh to sort of the know to help she's basically he seems to think that as far as wildlings go, she's probably the best they've got. She's like she's kinda like the Thens. She she looks more respectable like she's she's not got like bits of twigs growing out of her hair and stuff <laughs> her, her clothing as it turns out is made from cloth rather yeah. than human bones so <laughs> yeah. she's she's on she's on the sort of call it call it the sort of liberal side of what it means to be a um what it means to be a wildling out there yeah yeah but this is the first real um sort of amount of time we spend with Val and um, what did you make of her? She seemed to me quite like sort of dryly funny and sort of tough um, but mm. also there was this one little bit where like she she sees Shireen the uh, the princess who's, and she's got grey scales, she's got that sort of half her face is like stone and yeah. um, her immediate response is look you got to kill her, put her out of her misery it's the best for everybody and John's really mm. shocked at how sort of how sort of callous that sounds yeah yeah absolutely and uh, like that is incredibly callous but you do sort of wonder don't you what other pieces of wisdom that have been forgotten in Westeros you know whether this falls into the category of of course the White Walkers are exi exist you fucking idiots yeah because um, remember at the start of the series you know we're all about the White Walkers now these mad zombie things but yeah. at the start of the series everybody was like fairy tale Nonsense, don't exist, never going to yeah. happen. You know, the wildlings never thought that. So you do wonder if this falls into the same category of that sort of stuff that everybody else has forgotten. On the other hand, clearly she survived it, right? Because the grayscale, doesn't that turn you into a grey man within, a stone man within three weeks? Yeah. Um, you know, and she's still alive long afterwards. She's disfigured, but she's alive. And that doesn't seem to be something that was like strangely mysterious, miraculous. Ooh, maybe she's possessed by it or something. You know, it was just, yeah, you know, sometimes kids survive it. Like chicken pox. Yeah. And, you know, you have it when you're a kid, it's no problem. When you're old, it's, it could kill you. Yeah, she seemed to be saying, I, I thought she was saying, like, oh, maybe it's sort of, it's it's still it's still there it just goes more slowly in kids as if like you know sooner or later yeah. it's gonna happen it's just uh it just hasn't happened yet but i don't know yeah so we don't really know enough about it do we no absolutely although i, I will say this um I, I like the idea of them being like two for two on uh on zombie zombie related predictions because we've noticed <laughs> this haven't we? george loves a zombie storyline he's got not one but three in this book Mm. Um, they were right about the White Walkers, but maybe they're not right about the Stone Men. Mm. Um, mm. So, yeah, so, yeah. no, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. But more broadly, actually, I flipping love the character of Val. 
Yeah. Like, I thought she was... Like, I just... I kind of love that combination of... She's not, like, spitting tacks. You know, she's not, like, a sort of poorly aimed firework into this sort of social setting. Um, But she is... She is sort of very, very self-possessed and not at all interested in playing what she sees as these very kind of weak, southerner, Westerosi sort of games. Yeah. Um... And, so, and there's one marvellous bit, isn't there, where like somebody says, you know, oh, uh, the Queen has told me of your beauty. And she goes, that's interesting. She's never seen me. And, uh, and another one where um, maybe the same, the same person, a knight kind of kneels and says, milady, because he's trying to get on the right side of a potential queen. And she just goes, yes, yes, come on, sir knight, up you get, up you get. Like pats him on the head almost. And I do sort of love seeing a female character with um, the, uh, the sort of power to overturn all of those kind of subtly condescending systems of, of, of kind of chivalry and so on. And I thought that that was just, that was fantastic to see. I really loved it. Um, I thought she was a very, very interesting character. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so presumably that means she's going to get killed in the next chapter, but fuck it. It's a good job, sort of, good news for everyone that Florence isn't around at this stage um, to, to make yeah. his yeah. Yes. hastily and poorly thought out advances. Oh God, though. I mean, all right. It's good. It's good for him. Definitely good for him. It's good for her in that it saves her, you know, some some uh, avoidable violence. But it might not be good for us as viewers. You'd love to see him absolutely get spanked, wouldn't you? <laughs> Just get completely taken to pieces. It's like, woman, I am here, and I am Sir Axel Florent, and I am the man in this. You what? Your surname's Florent? Yes, Sir Axel Florent. Like flowers, Florent. You mean you, Mister Flowers? No, shut up. I'm in charge here. I am the man of... Oh, for fuck's sake. And you just, you know, punch him in the bollocks and keep walking, wouldn't you? Wouldn't even break stride. Um, so the, the upshot, anyway, is that um, the Queen isn't going to get on board with this plan because these 4,000 wildlings aren't going to get down on the knees and do the whole, you're the king, Stannis. We love you so much. <laughs> So it's a bit of a problem. John gets the the rest of the guys up to the sort of the people that matter to the top of the wall. So yeah. he's got a couple of the um, mountain clan lords and uh, yeah. Bowen Marsh and this drunk maester who's useless. And uh, <laughs> the drunk maester is great. In the middle of all this discussion. Um, they're trying to work, they're sort of arguing over what to do. His only contribution is at some point he just says, let's all pray for wisdom about it. And it just made me think of um, <laughs> that Blackadder, uh, one with, you know, in the Blackadder, I think it's t- two, where um, he's got, a, he's got a, he owes him a load of money, yeah, someone yeah, a load yeah. of money. And he's trying to work out what to do, and that Percy's only contribution is, come, let us sit a while. <laughs> Think for, for God's sake, let us sit and think think melancholy thoughts. I quite like. I actually like this as um as as a like because he he's a priest, isn't he? Not a maester. Oh, is he? Oh, I thought is right. I, I he might is he from I don't know what whatever he is. Anyway, is it somebody who you know has a certain uh, social cachet? Certainly, when he practices a drunk. piety. Yeah, yeah, he's certainly hammered. So I just I I, I read it. I read it more as they're in the middle of this long conversation and he's sitting there and he has one of those horrible moments of clarity where he's drunk, <laughs> drunker than he should be in the middle of quite an important situation. And he just kind of goes, I've got to show that I'm engaged here. Yeah. I, gentlemen, we should pray 
<laughs> and just sort of just puts it out into the middle. Everybody just turns slightly, looks at him. <laughs> turns back and carries on talking about politics. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so 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 he's useless basically. So but the rest of yeah. them have this argument. Um oh Leathers is up there as well. This guy, the sort of the the wild Lincoln good guy. He's sort mm. of um he's basically the sort of witness for the defence, isn't he, about this plan. Um saying, Look at the, the work for me and you know, I'm a stand up guy, so this is gonna be fine. Um <laughs> Yeah. Unsurprisingly, Bowen Marsh is the guy who's the most opposed to it. Um, they're discussing about who comes through the wall. John says, well, they mentioned the Weeper, you know, this guy who nearly killed yeah. Bowen Marsh last time and has been yeah. chopping off heads and leaving them on spikes outside doors. And um, John's response is, yeah, he's coming through as well. We can't discriminate. Everyone comes through. Yeah. And there I've thought, Really? You don't yeah. discriminate at all. Even yeah, that, that guy. Does seem to me, yeah, like well, particularly this dude who's gone out of his way to be a complete son of a bitch. You know, I think like because it's not like he struck a deal with Mance Raider, right? Like he's beaten him in battle. You know, he's in a position of strength. There, he wants to do the right thing for yeah. the free folk. You know, and he is working quite hard so that everybody acknowledges that they're they're people, right? Yeah. Um, but I think he'd be well within his rights to be like, fine, you want to, you, you know, you want to be unimaginably vicious to everybody that works for me. Fuck you then. Yeah. Um. I mean, on, by the same token, of course, he wants to avoid leaving anybody who could strengthen the um the White Walkers army, right? Yeah. Um. So, which I think is is what he's really doing. But uh, this felt to me like a bit of a a bit of a misstep, another piece of kind of slight political naivety. Which yeah. might add up to add up to something quite dangerous for Jon Snow, I think, um, because he's, um, yeah, because I, I think he's like he's 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 kind of embracing adulthood, but he's making all the opposite mistakes. He's making very youthful mistakes, but he's not making reckless youthful mistakes. He's making excessively, excessively kind of what he thinks of as leadery decisions. Yeah, um, and I think I think that's. That's uh, quite dangerous. I will say this though: he's he's got an eye for dramatic, hasn't he? You know, he could have this meeting somewhere in Castle Black. Could go walk out. Could go be outside on the grass looking up at the wall. Yeah, quite an imposing presence, right? You know, could yeah. could do that. Doesn't though, eh? Does not. None of that for Jon Snow. He quite literally raises the stakes and takes everybody up onto this massive sheet of ice, which, as far as I can tell, has no safety rail. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like, let's talk about something politically difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if, if if you're going to pick somewhere to drop a load of bad news on someone, um, news that would make them furious with you, maybe it's out of the top of a massive wall without a safety rail isn't the best place to do it. <laughs> but anyway. I, or it's, at least it's showing he's got moxie. It is. I'll tell it you is that. that. There yeah. is no doubt whatsoever that Jon Snow has moxie in this situation. Whether yeah. moxie keeps you alive, of course, is a completely different matter. Well, yeah. Uh, what, one of the um, one of the good parts, I think, of his plan is he's going to take uh, some hostages, like wards, um, from the prominent sort of wildling families and stuff. So, um, so that might try and keep most of them in line, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, Bowen Marsh basically um, describes this as practically treason to do this. Um, so he couldn't be more against it, but John's kind of like, "Well, it's happening, so deal with it." Um, and, and, and they're and they're all coming through, uh, regardless. Yeah. 
even that mad guy you tried to kill you and recently killed three of our rangers and stuck their heads on spikes, he's more than welcome as well. Yeah. As long as he says he'll play nice. I wonder if um, what he's thinking, I think what he's clearly thinking there is not so much we need to be fair as we can't leave him to become a white walker or a white or whatever. Um, but I, I wonder if what he's worried about is is sort of a, an, a, a hypothesis you really do not want to test, which is that the, the more of a bastard they were in life, the more of a <laughs> bastard they'll be in death. So you're like, of all the people I do not want turning up even harder to kill, it's the fucking weeper. I tell you what, <laughs> let's just put him on a piece of bog somewhere, but let's keep him the hell away from those blue-eyed cookie monster zombie bastards. Let's just keep him well away from there. <laughs> Well, we'll see how that plan works out, uh, obviously later in the story. But uh, next mm. up is a chapter... Whoa! Here's a blast from the past. It's only Cersei Lannister. Bugger me. Once again, once again, I frantically riffle through 2,000 electronic pages of a book on Kindle to try and find out what last happened to <laughs> Cersei. Well, I'll tell you what last happened. She was a, she was a stuck... Arrested in the uh, in the what's it called Great Sept as uh, a powerless prisoner of the uh, of this order that she set up, and who could have foreseen that they would have turned against her? But uh, my yeah, my heart broke, Matt. I don't know about you. I was I was I, I just couldn't cope. Yeah, she she's sitting there in this cell, and she's basically wishing that she was like, you know had the body of a Jamie or a Robert and that she could sort of take on her enemies um, in the same way they can. And that just made me think a little bit, is she is, is she and Jamie almost the same person, just in different skins? And if that's the case, that opens up some quite interesting um, wider questions about Cersei. You know, were she born like Jamie, would she have been basically the same as him? That's interesting. Jamie seems to have a kind of he is capable of caring about the well-being of other people. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if that is a function of having life handed to him on a platter, where Cersei, as a woman, will have just constantly been presented with the, the assumption of her own powerlessness. Yeah. She's had to fight for everything, and that's going to make you less chilled out about all sorts of things. Um, but mm, I, want, I feel like Jamie's a wrong'un, but he does have a wide-angle lens... Hmm. Whereas I feel like, or his wide-angle lens kind of causes him to know. He knows how to step backwards as well as stepping forwards. Yeah. Whereas Cersei never steps backwards. She always steps sideways to find a different place to stick in the knife. And hmm. to that extent, I think Cersei strikes me. I mean, I'm no expert, obviously, but she strikes me as being a psychopath. I think I think Cersei's just got a, a wire that's gone wrong somewhere in her in her constitution such that she can only conceive of life as a bitter struggle for power and influence and other human beings as the way that that occurs for you. Mm. Whereas Jamie, he's very good at the game of power and influence, but actually he's just got slightly more sort of lazy frat boy approach to it, you know? Yeah. Um, isn't that all... T- just a little bit more softness there. Isn't that all tied up in, in how how hard it's been to this struggle for for power though in that Jamie as you say has always just been given as much of it as he likes um, you know he, he, he couldn't 
he, he has all the power he can possibly want, Jamie, really, being born as he is and who he is. And Cersei, as you say, has just... It's basically been her entire life has been struggling to get the same amount of power as her brother has. And the only reason the two sides of the coin are so different is just because she's a woman. And how... how if For sort of a ambitious um, and, you know, a character like Cersei, just how galling is that every day to see someone who's exactly yeah. the same as you just fly up the ranks and get as much power as you can possibly want and you have to struggle for every single little bit just because just because of how you know of who you are. It's. Uh, I think that's. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's quite a interesting. very interesting question. I think. I, I I think you've got a good point there. Is that they are very similar, and you know they are kind of dual studies in power and powerlessness, if you like. Mm. Um, but generally speaking, I would say that regardless of what drove you to it. Um, you know, acting wrong is still acting wrong. Mm. Um, and so, like, there are... I don't think it's necessarily a given that being presented daily with your own powerlessness necessarily has to make you violent or has to make you, you know, the kind of serial abuser of other people, which Cersei has become. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's necessarily... I wouldn't... I wouldn't call it an excuse. I don't think that's what you're saying. But, you know, like, I wouldn't call it an excuse. It's certainly an explanation. Um, but, I, you know, I do wonder a bit how things could have gone differently for Cersei to make her a slightly more sympathetic mm. person. Yeah. I'm just quite interested in the, the idea that um, were the, the sort of sexes flipped here and it was women that automatically had all this power, that, um, mm. that Jamie would have been the one who became a psychopath. Um, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, there's there's no way of knowing, is there? But um, possibly, I mean, I, I think I think the I, actually I think you have a good point in that the raw material for the, this sort of psychopathy is um, is the the manner in which they've been taught to think about power and practice mm. power, and yeah. that's a, that is a Lannister thing, isn't it? That's a, a, a Tywin thing at the very least. Is that that this is how this is what they've been brought up to? Your job is to be in control. This is how control is practiced. It's, you know, this is who you are. The only mm. reason that you have for being here at all is to be on top of a pile by any means necessary. And your mm. inheritance is that for tens of generations, we've been better at that than everybody else. So keep the side up, you know? Mm -hmm. All of which begs for me the question, I would love to have seen a rebellious teenage Cersei or Jamie. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> completely rejecting the value system of all Lannisters before them and getting really into vegetarianism <laughs> and embracing kind of, you know, massive peace causes and going on smoking marches pot, and yeah. smoking a lot of weed. It would have been fantastic. The Westerosi Green Party would have been fucking great, led by <laughs> Cersei Lannister. Hey, man, just it's all good, okay? You know, I don't need to be one of those squares. Sure, my dad's a terrible terrifying military commander but me i just want to be friends <laughs> somebody get somebody break out the acoustic guitar i've got a sufjan song coming on you know? <laughs> yeah well that would have been quite a departure um the... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes it would yes <laughs> so, uh, so cersei is in a obviously completely powerless situation at the moment she's um she's having to confess her crimes um, kind mm. of, it's, this is a bit of a confess and a duress, 
because uh, <laughs> she's basically been kept awake every night until she confesses. Like mm. every, like one hour, every hour she's woken up and it's driving oh, it's her horrible, isn't nuts. it? So yeah, she decides to confess, and then when she walks into this room where she's to give a confession, there's a guy with a sort of you know notepad and pen effectively <laughs> waiting to write it all down. So she's thinking, right, got to be careful here. How much do I cough to? So she she admits to the adultery with the Kesselblacks and with Lancel. Um, and then she sort of the high septons like it, again. It just it really hammers home this like this the sort of whole sexism of the of this yeah. world with the high septons yeah. like yes, this is this kind of this kind of behavior is expected of a woman. They are weak and easily lured by pleasures of the flesh and all this, as if like all these brothels don't exist where men do it all the time. Um, yeah, and then. But then he lays down all these other accusations, which he says are more serious. You know, yeah. things like uh, having the high septum killed, uh, killing the king, uh, <laughs> you know, father, uh, yeah. having got a, a few uh, bastard children that have inherited the throne. You know, things that really are yeah. even more serious. Yeah, uh, but he, but the thing he really wants to lead with is you shagged some people you shouldn't shag. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, obviously, this is a picture perfect image of that sort of um, uh, hypocrisy in religious leadership when it comes to sexual misconduct hmm. um, and sexual conduct. Um, so, you know, it, it's exactly as infuriating as it's supposed to be. And again, we see this thing where George Martin is similar to Terry Pratchett in that he can't bring himself to hate a character completely. Like, he'll always yeah. find a way to put them in a position where you're like, oh, I feel sorry for this complete bastard. Um, which is, I mean, is always interesting. I think it's a sign of great dexterity and skill. Um, uh, yeah, and you're right. The, the hypocrisy on display here is just fucking towering. <laughs> it's just just pissing unbelievable. Um, but, well, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he's a wrong'un. She's a wrong'un. Um, there's a lot of wrong knocking about here. There's not a lot of right. I'm finding it hard really to root for anybody. I'm just, mm. you know, I'm just kind of, at this point, I'm just watching it happen. Yeah. Now it turns out there's, um, so there's going to be a trial to basically settle the rest of the stuff that Cersei won't um, confess to. Uh, in the meantime, while she's waiting, she gets put up in better quarters uh, because she's confessed now. She gets a visit yeah. from Sir Kevin, uh, her uncle, who is now sort of in the regent chair. The job he never wanted, to be honest, but he's got it. Um, and he's got a load of problems as well. Uh, because Jamie's just... He has 99 problems. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Jamie's wandered off somewhere with Brienne. He doesn't know where he is. There's a load of sellswords who've been landing on the coast, um, which we assume must be, um, you know, Team, uh, team Rhaegar. And... Um, and, yeah. You can't do that, Matt. That's uncomfortably close to getting into a sort of teeny bopper um, uh, twilight situation here. Yeah, and that is a direction Rager. I will not. No, 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 yeah. no. And, um, Absolument non. I'm not having that. And, and the the guy who sort of commands a large portion of his army, Mace Tyrell, is uh, is saying, I'm, "I'm not doing. I'm not doing anything until Marjorie gets cleared." So you know, sorted out. So he's stuck there as well. Or he's also yeah. massively pissed off with Cersei because 
obviously he's now found out about what's been going on between his son, Lancel, and her. So <laughs> yeah. not best pleased yeah. with that. Oh, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? There's mm. de- like sort of, hi, uh, Uncle Kevin, how's it, how's it going? <laughs> now, Lancel, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, we did. He, he, he asked, though, so <laughs> that, that's all right, isn't it? What do you yeah. mean I'm significantly older than he is and should have known better? <laughs> what do you mean against the laws of gods and men? Uh, on that, actually, got something else to tell you, which I think is going to make this pale by comparison. We'll get to the end of your sentence. <laughs> yeah, I do feel a bit sorry for Sir Kevin, especially, because he's, he's the kind of guy, he's, he seems to be like, he's a capable guy who's just sort of, has been treated well by events and sort of in previous years when Tywin's been running the show, but he's just been sort of left holding the holding the bomb at the end of the cycle. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's true. He does he seems to be a somewhat decent human being who Mm. has had the the extreme misfortune to have been born a Lannister and therefore to spend his life defending or dealing with the actions of a bunch of total bastards. (laughs) But at the same time he he has only himself to blame, right? He's spent a lot of time propping up his brother King Bastard. Tywin Lannister so mm, yeah I mean Kevin I feel your pain mate nobody wants to be in a situation where their niece has shagged their son but at the same time <laughs> you could have considered yeah. emigrating you know what I mean just get away <laughs> from that whole situation go yeah. go to Essos start again actually like like his brother um there was there's another Lannister isn't there who, who was this like cheery bloke who wandered off to try and f- like for adventure which Tyrion Ch- yeah. remembers, and he never came back. So I suppose yeah. it, it is in there. <laughs> you, you can't really blame him, can you? I mean, <laughs> if it's such a strong inheritance of, you know, congratulations, welcome to the world, you're our Lannister. Here is an unbelievably plush velvet cushion. There we go. Here's all the food you could ever want. Here's an extraordinarily large amount of privilege. You can do basically whatever you like. The cost for this is that you have to be hated by fucking everybody. <laughs> And yeah. first of all, Cersei took that sentence far too literally. Second of all, he just sort of you can just imagine uh, Kevin or Kevin's younger brother looking at that whole setup and being like, Yeah, yeah, um uh, is there a travel agent round here? Is there? <laughs> just um really feel the need to find myself. <laughs> World at great tour, length. baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like I'm going on a gap yard, I may not ever come back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's also a um, news bulletin from Dawn. So Ma- Marcella has had an ear chopped off, um, and the uh, yeah, obviously the uh, oak oak heart has been killed and all this stuff. Immediately, um, Cersei decides that this Tyrion must be behind it, and uh, Sir Kevin says this rather prescient quote where he says, "Yeah, you see Tyrion behind everything, and you know maybe that isn't the case." Um, but this does mean every cloud, there's a gap, uh, there's a position to be filled in the Kingsguard, no Oakheart's dead, and uh, Cersei's got just the man for the job, and she gets a message to Kyburn to let him know. <laughs> mm. that's, that's a very thin piece of straw to clutch at, isn't it? Yeah. Kyburn... Um, in a city full of wrongans, has managed to find a particular little piece of real estate on which he can be wrong in his own special, completely unique, particularly horrifying way. Mm. And quite frankly, if that was my last play, I would settle down for the long haul inside the prison. Yeah. 
Yeah. How about you? Would you would you would you roll that dice? Roll the Kyburn dice with its <laughs> with its hidden three faces, all holding symbols of eldritch horror that you can't really see until you roll them, and you have to sacrifice your soul in order to find out what you've won. Would you? Well, you know, when your back's against the wall. <laughs> uh, okay. Speaking of backs against the wall, um, next chapter's called the Queen's Guard. Dave, not only is badass grandpa still surviving, yes, still standing. He's he's been promoted. To, <laughs> he's been promoted to POV character status, which has never worked out badly for anybody else in the past, has it? <laughs> so I'm sure this 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 chapter will end perfectly well. <laughs> so yeah, we're left with Sebastian picking up the pieces in um. In Marine, after Daenerys has disappeared and many f- assume has died, um, Hisdar, the king, is uh, quite quietly and diligently removing all of Daenerys's people from around him, including Sebastian, um, replacing them with his 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 sort of trusted personal guard. Now is going to be these pit fighters who he's raised up. <laughs> So, Barristan, I'm sorry, you're just not trustworthy enough. I'm afraid you're going to have to leave and be replaced by these, the finest they have to offer. <laughs> and they're just standing in the corner, chain still shaking a little bit, thinking, am I supposed to kill everybody here? Because previously when I fought, literally everybody else in the room is supposed to end up dead. So do I yeah. start that now or, or is that later? Do, yeah. what, what am I supposed to do when some people stay alive? I don't really know how to distinguish between this stuff. Yeah, I think his dad's putting a lot of stock in sort of the the loyalty angle here because obviously these guys are gonna be more loyal to him because he helped them out when they were uh, when they were needing a place to fight and murder each other and he you know he did that for them. Although he, he is still keeping Sebastian on board, he says I'm still gonna need you as my general if it comes to war because you know for all for all the showmanship of the spotted carts, um, you know. They don't make good generals this lot, so uh, they need someone who knows how to fight a war. <laughs> so that is exactly it, isn't it? It's just like Sebastian, you may be gone. Uh, you are easily replaceable by this collection of rag and indeed tag individuals um, who are more than capable of taking your place, except absolutely none of them have an original thought in their brains, and it turns out that is strategically suboptimal. Um <laughs> Do you know anybody who's good at commanding soldiers? <laughs> yeah, per exactly. chance. Exactly. I quite like as well. Um, it's not even his dad who's who's sort of laying this on Sebastian. It's that Resnak guy, um, and uh, you can see you, you just get the feeling just how much Sebastian hates this guy. And one of the reasons is because he smells funny. He's, he's he like uses perfume and. Sebastian's like, men should smell of sweat and all this. I just imagine if he, if he turned up today around here, he'd be like, what are all these men doing with deodorant on? <laughs> Where's the glorious the metro- manly smell of body odour? <laughs> the metrosexual boom would have been a, a lean time for him, wouldn't it? Just, just wandering around looking at all these people with sort of duck-feathered hairdos and different... Calvin Klein 1 would have blown his fucking mind. Just, what do you mean... Unisex, uni, uni, unisex, unisex. What? Where is the smell of sweat? There, there's no smell of sweat. There's none. Right. Yeah, I'm just terrible. gonna need a moment. 
I'm just going to... Fuck it. I'm going back to the time machine. <laughs> uh, the other interesting thing from being in Sebastian's head is that just how much guilt he feels. Uh, guilt for uh, for failing his sort of former kings, uh, who obviously died while he was in the Kingsguard. Guilt for not managing to stop Daenerys um, when she made a break for the dragon. Um, and he, he sort of also thinks, had Dario been next to her rather than he, um, he thinks Dario would have moved a bit quicker. Um, and it turns out 214 people were killed by the dragon um, when, he, when he got pissed off. Um, so it's, it's, I find this quite interesting just how, uh, yeah, to be honest, the whole experience of being in Sebastian's head was, uh, was a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, 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 very, very much. And it was a good way of seeing almost from the only level head in, um, in Marine right now. Mm. Right? Of kind of the only person who's looking at it with clear eyes and, and who might be able to give you something approaching an objective view of it. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I like this chapter a lot as well. I'll tell you what I was thinking of, though. You know how we were saying last time that um, Drogon turns up... Um, by the way, what a terrible name for a dragon, by the way. What shall I call this dragon? I don't know. I changed one of the letters. Drogon. Dragon. <laughs> Drigin. Dregen. Drogon. Drogon? Fucking yes. I'm having that. Anyway, I phoned that in a bit, didn't you, George? Anyway. I, I, na- named after, uh, what's it, isn't it? The uh, Carl Drogon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. There is a reason for it in the story, <laughs> but it's still a little bit thin, isn't it? What shall I call him? Drogon. Anyway, I would because he turns up like a complete Deus Ex Machina. Like you know, it's it's all kicking off, and then suddenly there's a dragon, and it, it continues to kick off, but in a dramatically different and unexpected way. Yeah. Is what happened at the end of last chapter. Um, so I I was kind of wondering, what does the Deus Ex Machina think before it descends onto the stage in order to completely change the plot? Like, what's he thinking when he's flying around? He's been off for six months. Is mm. he? Is he? Was he looking for Daenerys? Is he like, oh, look, there's a pit with some it's surrounded by many people with very few people in the middle of it. That seems to me like the kind of place I should land so that I'm <laughs> maximally visible. Or was he like, oh, look, look, it's one of those, it's sort of like one of those Chinese restaurant tables with the turny thing in the middle, but you sit <laughs> in the middle and the food turns around the outside. Is that what he was thinking or what? <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. I like that idea he's sort of flying past and he sort of looks down and is like, ooh, killing going on? A lot of sort of, hmm, I'm going to get a slice <laughs> of this. And it's right <laughs> he <laughs> is droggy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's like he's like some kind of some drunkard wandering past a party, isn't he? He's like, oh yeah, yeah. hi guys, <laughs> party, and then everybody's just kind of quite awkwardly standing around, like, oh, I've massively misjudged this. Oh, well, I suppose I better roast and eat all of you. Never mind, never mind. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you the other thing that I liked about um, about this chapter actually was yeah. one of the, one of Barristan's reflections, and it's so good that I wonder whether almost whether he wrote the whole chapter just so he could put this in. Um, he draws a dist- like he's kind of talking about all the different kings he served, and as we know, most of them were wrongans. Mm. And um, uh, he's at one point he he he's talking about the people who've made up the King's Guard, and you know, Jamie Lannister was wrong, and other people have been far more honourable, and so on. Um, mm. And then he says something, he basically says, um, uh, you can be honourable, or the good ones The good ones are honourable and the bad ones play the Game of Thrones. Yeah. 
I thought that was a great fucking line because that ki- it was kind of cathartic for me to read it because there is something quite relentlessly bleak about George Martin's worldview in this. Mm. And he's, you know, he's asking us to, and succeeding in making us, which is how good an, actor, an, an author he is, he's succeeding in making us care about these, the, the ins and outs and political manoeuvrings of people who are all basically complete bastards. You know, mm. he introduced us with a sympathetic character uh, with, with Ned Stark, but then he's dead. Um, spoilers. And, mm. um, and it's all, you know, it's all sort of gone wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, so it was quite surprisingly cathartic for me where, where Barristan just goes, you know, basically you have to be a bastard to be a king. Yeah. Um, and I just, that was, for some reason, I found that quite pleasing to kind of hear somebody say so bluntly is like, yes, they are all complete complete bastards you know yeah yeah and there is something admirable admirable about uh sir Barristan's outlook there there's i think there's also an element of it's a, it's quite easy to 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 hold that position though to say um yeah i'm honorable because i'm just i just do what i'm told please someone tell me what to do yeah. and everybody tells me what to do with they're all the bad guys but you know someone's yeah. got to do it someone's got to tell you what to do so yeah you know yeah that, that is true game. actually that is the i was just following orders defense isn't it yeah um but in his case orders that came from within you know the idea of i've made a vow and so i must follow through and this must be something that i do now and and you know yeah. all of that yeah um, i think there's an element of of with that outlook just abdicating a lot of your responsibility and saying oh, i've just yeah. got to follow the rules yeah, it's a, it's um it is honor, but honor of an extremely limited type, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, so, it's also the kind of thing yeah. that makes this world work, isn't it? People doing that and following their vows, but still, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 But yeah, you're right. It is a really interesting sort of philosophical argument for him to sort of think about as well. Um, mm. But he looks like he's going to have to do a bit of Game of Thrones playing. Maybe sort of the second division game with Thrones, the one over in Essos. <laughs> the, Johnson, the Johnson's paint trophy of the Game of Thrones. Yeah. A lesser competition for people who really can't be bothered with the ruthlessness required to hit the heights. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe maybe that's unfair. Maybe this is just as big if you're in that area. It's kind of like the, you know, Serie A in the Premier League or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's over in Serie A playing for. That's you know, amazing. Lazio, he's t- he's taken taken the he's taken the Italian lira. He's moved abroad. <laughs> Just he's not quite good enough for the Prem, but he's definitely got League One in him. You know, he's 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 definitely got maybe maybe possibly the sort of yeah. I mean, he could make it in uh, in La Liga, perhaps. <laughs> you know, you know, kind of Atletico sort of level. <laughs> not, but not in the hashtag best league in the world. Iron Throne. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, with the same level of astonishing self-importance and avarice for wealth and exploitativeness of its its core audience. Do you know what? There's quite a lot of parallels between the Premier League and (laughs) Westeros, aren't there? (laughs) This is quite horrifying. Um, So his involvement in the game is that uh, Skahaz, you know, the the shave pate, he's still knocking around. And um, he was dismissed quite early on by Hisdar, but he was the commander of these brazen beasts, these guards who basically wear masks all the time, which are really creepy in themselves uh, because you never know who's behind them. 
Yeah, I, I find it amazing that their that their sort of public safety security response to having a huge problem with assassins who wear masks <laughs> is to combat them by making policemen who wear masks. That's that's just that's definitely going to go well, isn't it? No, no, no massive strategic misstep there at all. Well, I think it was a choice between having policemen who wear masks or not having any policemen because everyone was so frightened to to join that force if sort of the harpies could find out who you were. So it was yeah. a way of actually... It was actually a, recruit, a, a recruiting tool, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Come and work for us. Honour is not ne- not required. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, so that was, the, that was the plan. But this does mean that um, the shave pate can basically move around disguised by just sticking one of these masks on so um he gets into the gets into the castle to to speak to to speak to Zabariston. he says he's found out who the poisoner was it was some guy who uh the confectioner of uh his dar apparently and this makes <laughs> this makes uh Barristan think about you know how his dar kept suggesting Daenerys eat these locusts and never actually ate one himself, which is a bit yeah. suspect. Yeah, I, again, I, I'm, I'm the most credulous reader in the universe because I saw that and just didn't think anything of it, and you were immediately like, oh, yeah, yeah, eating away, is he? wonder how that's going to work out for him. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a plan that the Shavepate has. He's basic, he basically says he's uncovered this plot, which is basically it was just to, to kill... The, 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 probably his dad the harpies probably at the behest of his dad wanted Daenerys dead that's why there were these poison locusts around yeah. and now um, what's going to happen is the this massive Volantis army is on the way and his dad's going to open the gates to them and slavery's on the way back and the shave pate's basically saying we've got to strike first Yeah. Um, and his idea yeah, cause... sorry go on He's got everything to lose, the shave pate, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got everything to lose. He's turned his cloak and now everybody's like, "Uh, maybe I'll turn mine back again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And he says to Sebarison as well, you're going to end up in a fighting pit unless you sort this out. Yeah, Um, yeah. And his plan is to basically attack the Yunkish Menard, the the Yunkai army, get the cell swords on board, um, and then sort of try and try and create sort of a, a revolution or a, you know, a changing of the guard before Volantis gets here. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the that's the plan. And Sebastian's kind of, he wants to speak to this confectioner and have a word with Grey Worm because the reason the shave pate's approached Barristan is to say, we need the Unsullied on side and you're the yeah. guy who can get to them. And- I do love that the Unsullied have just gone, she's gone, has she? Fuck it. Yeah. And they've just like Back this the terrifying, yeah, terrifying <laughs> fighting force. They've just gone, nope, nope, nope. What are you yeah. gonna do? Cut my balls off? Already gone, son. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're a potentially very powerful element, which are just sort of taking a step back at the moment. Mm. What do you make of um? What do you make of uh? Daenerys just having taken off. Yeah, it's Cause, strange, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's quite irresponsible, no? Mm. Yeah, just not come. I don't know how much um how much control she has over the dragon though when she's on the spot. <laughs> she's, not, she's not really riding it, is it? She can't say, uh, excuse me, uh Drogon. Left, left a bit. <laughs> Can we go I left actually I left a city full of people relying on me as a mother behind, so <laughs> yeah. I'll go on then. Whee! 
Yeah, I'm sure she's. I'm sure she's digging her heels into his ribs as much as possible to say, "Come on." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> left a bit. Left a bit. This is this is fantastic. But she's been giving it all of this mother of dragon stuff the whole time. So I I don't know. I feel like I feel like she should have she should have kind of got her head around it. I tell you actually what this did remind me of is um uh, I I have have you ever uh, chanced to uh, to bear witness to somebody who doesn't really know how to ride a motorbike getting on a motorbike and trying to drive it for the first <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah, that's probably there's that quite bit, good, yeah. There's that bit where they don't quite know how well it revs, and they, they turn the handle a bit, and nothing happens. So they turn it a lot, and then it leaps <laughs> forward. And in a number of cases that I've witnessed, smashes a, a, car's, side, a car's side door in or, or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I kind of feel like this is that like she's just but instead of there being a car door for her to hit before she goes much further this is this is like this is a, the <laughs> motorbike that doesn't stop running forwards out of the way so she's just like she's across all the way across the Dothraki Sea leaving the eastern coast of Estra, of Essos and still gaining speed yeah yeah I agree <laughs> ah! for, for me it's like the uh, it's like with, um, the sort of amateur horse rider who Gets on a really angry horse and just just dashes off and it's going. You see him flying off into the distance, going, "Oh God!" <laughs> <laughs> I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> Make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> that a, it takes a bit of the drama and adds more of the comedy to that scene, doesn't it? If you think of it like that, it certainly just, does. You just hear yeah. on on the top of the dragon going, "Oh God." Ah, if I fall now, how many bones do you think I will... Oh, it's gone. Oh, never mind. Oh, oh, look, I can see everywhere I've ever been. Drogon, slow down. I'll give you a proper name next time. (laughs) I'll call you Lezard or... or Lezard. (laughs) Just take the word in English for it and change one of the letters. Call him... Lezard or Gokko or something. Gokko. Yeah. Oh dear. Anyway, that's where we leave Sir Barristan. And uh, we go on to the Iron Suitor. It's it's Victorian. Well, hey! Once again, let me just flick back through an entire <laughs> yeah. fucking book. Yeah, it is a bit of another sort of remember him, isn't it? But um, yeah. yeah. This is this, you know, the squat bull of a um, iron-born guy who is a... Uh, is the the brother of the new the new king of the Iron Islands, uh, Euron. Mm. Uh, mm. He's been sent on a mission to go and get Daenerys. He's one of these many suitors who are just turning up expecting her to go, Oh, <laughs> my suitor. <laughs> as, he, as he goes, Milady. <laughs> <laughs> I love how behind the curve he is as well. I sort of love how painstakingly George Martin has set up this scenario where we followed all these different suitors running across the planet to meet a woman who is no longer there and who has shown no inclination that she'd be impressed with a fucking one of them, even if they did make it to her. Yeah. So we've already Quentin's Quentin's gone the way of the awkward seventeen-year-old, <laughs> yeah. and um, and. Uh, uh, Hisdar, well, I mean, Hisdar was always a wrong one, wasn't he? But he hasn't exactly kind of set her world on fire. Yeah. And now Victorian's preparing to turn up and is essentially trying to work out how you grow roses in salt water before he arrives there. So he can be like, <laughs> milady. Go for that real sort of smooth romantic thing. Yeah. Don't think it's going to work out for him. Yeah, now he did have close to 100 ships when he set out, but because of various storms... 
they've pretty much halved. He's got about 50, maybe 54, I think he's got ships now. And this is quite a serious problem because it looks like he's going to sail into this Volantine fleet, the Volantis army, which is on the way. And that's mm. estimated to have between 300 and 500 ships. So it's kind so of... ships getting real, is what <laughs> you're saying. Yeah. He's been waiting for as long as he can for any of his other ships to turn up on... Um, I'm not sure what the island's really called, but I've basically christened it Pork and Monkey Island. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's I'll loads be of honest, <laughs> doesn't that sound like the kind of restaurant you'd be horrified but not at all surprised and a little tempted to discover existed somewhere in the Midwest of America? <laughs> pork and Monkey Island. Pork yeah. and Monkey Island. Come for the pork, stay for the monkeys. Yeah. So they have come for the pork because there's loads of pigs knocking around which don't seem to run away. So they, they've got loads and loads of salted pork on board. Um, but also <laughs> there's these, these sort of plague of monkeys that keep jumping on the ships and just running amok. And Victorian is just <laughs> furious about it, but he can't get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> I love that as well, because if there's one one group of people in Westeros who are not emotionally set up to deal with, you know, um, disappointments to their authority, it's the Iron Islanders. So yeah. he's sitting there, and his approach is to cut the balls off anybody who disagrees with him. And then there's a monkey sitting on the top and actively laughing, masturbating openly and just laughing at his face. Yeah. Because that's what monkeys do when you try and tell them what to do. And they, they, they hear all the way through this chapter every so often, another one just throws a load of shit down from the, from the rigging. <laughs> it's becoming harder and harder to maintain my dignity in this situation. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I think just another thing to think about with this uh, this de- this. Uh, really reduced fleet as well. Um, he he's Victorian split his fleet up into three, and um, he sent his sort of fastest ships um, along the sort of more dangerous route because they could get through more quickly. And they're the group which have been hit worst. So yeah. the one with all the fast ships is like limped in with about two or three ships left. So yeah. it's really damaged his uh, his his uh, power here. Um, yeah, he's also Jemba when. We were last with Victorian. He had this big uh, sea-based battle where uh, he killed this uh, this young lord. Um, yeah. But to do so, he sort of caught the guy's blade with his hand. Um, yeah. And he thought it was just like a scratch, but it's festered into this really dreadful wound now. Oh, it's horrible, isn't it? The way oh, he yeah. There's it. this bit below decks where they sort of slice it open and just this, like, what seems like a gallon of pus just comes out. Yeah, it's just this torrent of... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's not right that. Um, I I do like uh, the uh, George Martin's really committed to the um, to unmasking the tis but a scratch response to yeah. to catching a sword with your bare hands. Oh, it's fine. Tis but a scratch. Yeah. He said, looking at his rapidly suppurating palms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's this guy who's treating him, this maester who's been brought on board. It looks like this guy used to be quite a like cocky, cocksure maester. Until he came aboard the Iron Fleet and got quite the rude awakening as he got <laughs> beaten up and he's had all sorts of dreadful stuff done to him. Yeah, yeah. No so I shouldn't be laughing. It is, it is absolutely horrendous. Yeah, he's sort um, of just sort of hovering around now, yeah. trying to stay out of trouble. Um, well, but- no, he's not though, isn't he? Because doesn't he try and pull one over on Victorian later on? Isn't he sort of he, like Victorian's like, oh yeah, he's he's my brother's creature. This guy, you know, he was substituted in at the last minute for somebody, and you know, yeah, like... I, I think Victorian. 
I'm not sure he. I think Victorian suspects he is, but he Victorian can't get his head around the fact that he's just got a wound that hasn't healed properly. He thinks it's got to either be poison, or maybe this this dodgy meister guy isn't um, isn't healing him properly. I kind of yeah. got the impression that's more in sort of Victorian's head than anything else. He can't he can't possibly understand the idea of it's just his body turning against him and not oh that's an properly. interesting read yeah yeah i i can definitely see the argument for that i i, I thought i quite like the intrigue angle though because as i say because i'm so kind of bambi-ishly naive whenever i spot potential uh potential dodgy doings i'm like oh i saw it look look him him he's a spy <laughs> it, i mean it could be it could be the case i don't think we'll ever know for sure but I bet it's not though. It just out. to maintain my 100% hit rate of being completely blindsided by even <laughs> the slightest bit of deviousness or guile. <laughs> um, now the the interesting thing here is uh, Makoro. Remember our mm. uh, our big 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 red priest who uh, who got washed overboard on Tyrian ship. He turns yeah. up, so they pull him from the sea. Mm. Um, he's been drifting for days, and his robes have gone pink now. Which is a, which is a, it's, it's an interesting echo that to um, Thoros because his robes went pink. Oh um, yeah, how yeah. interesting! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the, I really like that actually. I think that's funny. Yeah. So <laughs> the pink priest, shut up, shut up! I'm still really terrifying. Even with well, because all of the because when we saw Melisandre, she had all of those like little pockets up her sleeve, didn't she? Where she kept all of the all of the magic effects that she uses to convince people that she's talking to the gods. Yeah. So. All of his stuff must be like you know damp or washed overboard or gone mouldy or starting to smell or something, yeah. right? So, um, so I, I quite like that idea, really. I quite, I quite like the <laughs> idea that he's been he's washed up. All of his magic tricks have gone, and to boot, he's <laughs> lost his extremely imposing uh, clothing. And instead, yeah. everybody's like, kind of, look, it's the pink priest. No, really, he's worth listening to. I'm sorry, I can't. It's pink. No, 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 no chance, no chance. Yeah, dressed up like a My Little Pony. Yeah, I think his tricks are like um, if you've seen Arrested Development again. I'm making a few references to this. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, Matt. Only <laughs> reference the classics. That's us. Homer, <laughs> Homer, yeah. Virgil, and uh, Arrested Development. Yeah, but uh, Job, the the brother sort of, he's a magician, and he does this. He always tries to do this trick where fire leaps out of his like wrists, and it's always just the sort of petrol just sort of squirts out. He doesn't light, and I'd imagine that's what's <laughs> happening with Makoro's tricks now. <laughs> <laughs> Behold! Oh, <laughs> oh but, but still, where did the lighter fluid come from? <laughs> yeah. Um, but he says, anyway, Makoro is taken to Victorian and he tells him, you know, you're marked for death. Uh, <laughs> and warns him of, uh, of, of his, his incoming death. Basically, Makoro's combination of predictions and warnings um, managed to save his life. And he, because Makoro says, let me go to work on that hand of yours. I'll be able to. I'll be able to sort of fix you up. Mm. Um, this leads to a one of those weird, sort of echoes of the Carl Drogo back to life ceremony from book one, where they yeah. sort of Victorian gets shut up in his cabin and there's all this weird stuff going on inside which no one can quite understand what's happening, and yeah. then he he reappears Victorian, and his hand is like there's the smoke coming out of his fingers mm. um, which which seems weird and he sort of points to the poor maester he's like slit his throat and throw him overboard 
I know, and Makoro's right back on the rising curve, isn't he? He's, he's got, like, Victorian has got religion in the most terminal way here, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's very much um, on the up, isn't he, now, Makoro? It's a, it's, it's a good yeah. news day for Makoro. Yeah, all I had to do was turn up, spray a bit of lighter fluid on him, and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this morning I was drifting in the sea, starving, looking like I was going to drown and die horribly. This evening, I'm back in the big time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, Let's move on to the final chapter for today, which is Tyrion. Ah. Speaking of fluctuating fortunes, uh, Tyrion is is basically experiencing sort of the, the dreaded and horrendous last days before certain death here because yeah. uh Yezan uh he's you know his sort of his boss the guy who owns him this massive fat yunkishman um has got the pale mare that sort of plague and he's dying and that means mm. all these sort of like special um his special group of uh, uh what do they what do they call it? he's got a name for them um I can't remember what it was but sort of you know Tyrion and sweets and uh, this little goat boy and all these other lot, they all yeah. basically know that once this guy dies, they're going to get killed too because he's the yeah. only thing that's protecting them. Yeah, we find this a bit later so. as well where Tyrion asks uh, some uh, some soldiers to go and fetch water for this guy and they won't yeah. do it because they know which way this is going. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, isn't it amazing as well sort of how the... Um, like how the kind of ruthlessness of this situation is such a given that they're like, well, I'm not powerful, and so when the powerful person that I'm working for dies, I'm going to get killed. Not I'll have to work out what I'm going to do, or maybe I can run away. They're all just sitting around waiting to die. Hmm. Like, yeah. isn't that just horrifying? Yeah, I think I'd imagine more often than not, you would all be thinking, well, maybe I'll be sold somewhere else, or I'll be useful for someone problem is for yeah. these for this lot they really don't have any intrinsic value outside of just this guy's this yezan's mm. curious sort of interest in them it's not like yeah. they're really you know useful fighters or really i don't know there's they don't really have much more to offer other than we're just really all unusual looking yeah yeah that's true that's true in this day and age of course there'd be a sensation on britain's got talent <laughs> Alas, alas, that those days are not yet here. You Where were my kingdom for fun. Simon Cowell. Fantastic. Release the lions. <laughs> <laughs> Higher stakes version of it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Deary me. Do you reckon that's what it'd be? If they get three crosses, they release the lions. <laughs> 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 You've got to admit, though. I, honestly, honestly, that gets to up sort of around series ten of that. They will be doing that, won't they, to keep the interest high? And we've moved on to what we like to call the Coliseum model. Now, what that means is, if they're terrible, they're going to die, and the stupid bastards are still lining up for three weeks in order to come in and get insulted and now eviscerated as well. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the other, quote, victims of the Pale Mare has been Nurse, you know, the guy who was in charge of the, um, in charge of this little group. 
it turns mm. out that he might have been helped along on his way um, with some special delivery mushrooms that Tyrion has slipped into the guy's suit <laughs> and then like, drink up now. Bad, bad shrooms. <laughs> yeah. I quite like that, hey, Tyrion's still got that edge to him, hasn't he? The Lannister always pays his debts. Yeah, um, yeah. All through this chapter, Tyrion's starting this plan to, to get mm. him and Penny free. It involves yeah. getting Sejora released to help them carry some water around. Yeah. And, and then when they sort of are supposed to go back to the tent, they take a quite large detour. Um, on the way, uh, Tyrion just has a little think about the, the joust, um, while they're sort of mm. waiting for the... Basically, while, while they're at the well waiting for the water, they're chatting to all these people who are gossiping. And mm. they talk about how they were at the Colosseum or the, you know, the Grand Pit, whatever it's called, when they were yeah. fighting. And yeah. how Tyrion basically worked out the lion plan um, after he survived it. Sort of, he, he, they turned up him and Penny, and Nurse was really surprised that they were, you know, they'd survived. And then yeah. later on, they heard the lion owner saying, Oh, my lions haven't eaten for ages. I've been starving them so they could basically <laughs> eat dwarves, and they've not done it. And Tyrion yeah. puts two and two together. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. So um, the big plan of Tyrion's is to, to run to Brown Ben Plum and basically offer them themselves to him. <laughs> That's like escaping from a marauding T-Rex by going and chatting with the Velociraptors about whether you could do a timeshare, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think that's yeah. really going to work out for him. Yeah, I suppose it's any port in a storm, isn't it? So off he yeah. goes to, to Brown Ben Plum. There's an interesting little bit here where Tyrion says, I know who you are and in terms of his lineage. And that he's he must be one of the the plums from, I think who are, who are bound to Casterly Rock over in uh, over in Westeros, and also have yeah. a little bit of dragon's blood in them. They can trace the line back to the Targaryens, and that's yeah. why, if you remember, Brown Ben was like one of the few people who wasn't afraid of the dragons and quite liked them, and I yeah. thought that was quite a nice uh, way of tying all that together. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, I, I do like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tyrion's big selling point is look. The boss is dying, uh, so you can have us for free. You were you were willing to bid a load of money to get me before, so why not just sort of, why not just take me now? And you know, off we go. We can go. Uh, you can either take me back to King's Landing and get some money, which is, I wouldn't recommend, but you can. Or you can join up with me because <laughs> I've got some really good plans. And and Brown Ben's like, hmm, liking the sound of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I, and I, that's like. I mean, Brown Ben Plum must. He must know that what he's entering into here is a bet that he can screw Tyrion better than Tyrion can screw him. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But it's it's. Oh man! Like, I I do quite love. You know, you just can't keep Tyrion down, can you? <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's just completely irrepressible in this situation. He'll always go looking for the deal. Yeah. Um. But um, but oh, oh, it's risky, isn't it? Going to somebody whose only real, like tangible, um, tangible benefit from from helping you is if he helps you in order to screw you, mm. and kind of gambling that you can keep shit together till then. Um, yeah. But but Brown Ben Plum is keen, so I, it's not many people that. That I, ha- I have this image of Brown Plum, Brown Plum, Brown Ben Plum in my head, of being mm. this fellow who's like, um, 
like, kind of a little bit, you know, he's got that kind of avuncular sort of ooh, chuckly sort of demeanor about him. Mm. And I, I sort of, I can't work out if that's a cover over some extreme guile. And and even if it is, whether it's not a cover over some extreme guile that's still not as much guile as Tyrion has. Mm. You know, it's definitely a high stakes bet for them both, isn't it? If Tyrion's wrong, he dies. If Brown Ben Plum's wrong, then you know for certain Tyrion's going to find some way of fucking him over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is just a great example of Tyrion again. He's got one weapon in his locker, hasn't he? Which is his wit and his um, his ability to talk people around. And he just uses it time and again to good effect. And here, you're right, it's a big gamble. But uh, it's probably a much better situation to be in than stuck tied to um, poor old Yezan as he slowly dies and then his protection disappears and that will be it then. So he knows he's got his, he's on a sinking ship, hasn't he? So he's got to jump to the nearest one to uh, to survive. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the story of of Tyrion Lannister, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, yeah. he w- at this point, you're not going to bet against him. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, th- that brings us to the end of, of this week's uh, read-through of uh, A Dance with Dragons. If you're reading it along with us, then for next week, we're going from this next chapter, which is about John again. That night, he dreamed of wildlings. As far as a chapter about Cersei, uh, which begins on the last night of her imprisonment. Sounds good news for Cersei, but we will find out more. Um, if you have any feedback to send to us on the book or on the podcast, it's a shark liver oil podcast at gmail.com. That's shark liver oil podcast at gmail.com. You can also get us on Twitter at shark liver oil. There we go. There we go. Until next time, Dave. Until next time, Matt. Enjoy the next part. I believe I will. Well, well, good. That is good to know. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Layers. <laughs>